for tuning in. This is episode number 181. I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on this episode. Um, so there's some changes going on. I just kind of want to make a few announcements. Um, do check out um, the website, uh, thebiblestudypodcasts.com. Um, if, uh, you can find all the episodes uh, linked there, uh, kind of consolidating that and um, making some additions as we roll along. So if you have the time, check that out. Um, you can find those episodes through there. If uh, for some reason your podcast particular platform seems to be struggling or if it's not available, um, do do find that there. Uh, another announcement I want to make. Um, so congratulations to uh, all the listeners in India. Um, I, I read that they were they had a successful moon landing on august twenty third eight thirty four a m so uh, I think that uh, makes the fourth nation to be able to successfully land on the moon uh, so that's that's awesome and uh, congratulations to all the uh, India listeners there that's uh, quite an accomplishment so we're going to jump into um, this topic um, I, it, it's something that I've been kind of fascinated with uh, these past couple of days. Uh, thank you for your patience, uh, by the way, for this next episode. Um, and it's it's comes it comes out of the book of Ruth. Um, you may be familiar with the story of Ruth. Uh, it's taught and spoken of a lot. There's tons of connections and learning that can be found through the book. And uh, and so my intention for this particular teaching is just to to read through some. I have, I have some notes uh, that I've taken, but uh, I also want to be kind of fluid in in what might come to mind. This isn't intended to be exhaustive, uh, more so to provide some some just points and some ideas to kind of to suggest things for you to think on and explore. Perhaps these have been some things that you may have never noticed before. Um, so I hope that it excites you to uh, discover what's maybe new inside of Scripture, um, but but obviously has been there all along. So it's it's wonderful how God does that and how He can make the the Word a, a living experience and um, if we're not careful, we can we can allow our Bibles to become very mundane and very monotonous. But if we'll ask God, the the Holy Spirit will breathe on it fresh for us, and He can help us to discover things we've never seen or heard or noticed, even though maybe we have went through it uh, countless times. So that's what I want to do. Uh, today in this episode, perhaps there'll be um, more parts as we go along. Um, we'll just kind of see. Um, Ruth is a pretty short uh, book, I believe four chapters. Um, it's a fantastic reading, uh, quite exciting um, and encouraging. So if you haven't checked out uh, the book of Ruth, I do encourage you to do so. 
So I'll be uh, just, I'll start reading some and then we'll just kind of plug in some thoughts and considerations for you um, as you are processing this episode. And so Ruth chapter one, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. This man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other Ruth. After they lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So, just to kind of get an idea of what's happened here, and, you know, this is, the the Bible often does this, and, and sometimes we take it for granted. What takes us five verses to go through encompasses many years. And though we don't know exactly how much time passes, uh, we don't know the necessarily the ages of the characters in the storyline. We do have uh, some general information. We do know that um, there was a transition by a wife named Naomi and the husband Elimelech that uh, they were from Bethlehem in Judah and belonging to Ephraim, because they were um, Ephraimites, so that would have derived from the uh, Ephraim. And these two, husband and wife, had two sons. Now, I want to point out some biblical name meanings, because... They have names, if you're familiar or not, Hebrew names carried um, meaning. They weren't arbitrary uh, many times, or most times there was a, a a reason for the name, and it carried descriptors of, of the person. So just to kind of reveal some of those, it, it's fun to to look into that because you may can discover um, new things about it. So Naomi actually means my delight, or it could be, could be uh, also it could mean sweet. And just to touch ahead, Naomi calls herself Mara later on, which means bitterness. So you kind of see this this flip of from sweet to bitter. Now the the name Elimelech might kind of sound familiar if, if you've spent some time in your Bible thinking of Melchizedek. 
Um, but Elimelech means God is king. Now, that's, that's interesting. And one of the sons, Malon, means man of sickness. So that might could shed a little bit of light, perhaps on some of his uh, situation, circumstances, etc. The other son, Kilion, um, means man of finality, coming to an end. A couple things there. Now, you'll also notice that many names or meanings of the names can carry a wide range of uh, meaning. So um, it's not always easy, cut and dry. There, there, there is some kind of flexibility or fluidity to understanding the names and how they can maybe apply in different situations and what we can learn from them. It's actually, um, I believe it's Eric uh, Lundy, if I'm remembering right, did uh, this the this majesty video regarding the genealogies and you know oftentimes genealogies especially in our western culture is can be very boring uh, for us to read and it kind of you just go through this name after name after name but he he presented uh, a a slideshow of compiling all these meanings behind the names in the genealogy um, and it, it actually created this roadmap, if you will, um, all the way leading to Christ. And it was a very prophetic picture of when, you know, aligning these names, uh, lineage of majesty, maybe that's what it's called. Uh, so if you haven't seen that before, I do recommend it. It will definitely give you a greater appreciation for names and genealogies, etc. So we find here now with with these names of the of our initial key players in the story we find that there was a famine in the land and as a result of this famine the they relocated and uh, that is a man and his wife and two sons so they went to live in the country of Moab now if if you recall Moab um, he is Moab was a incestuous son of Lot with his oldest daughter. Now Moab means, or it can mean, who is your father? It can also mean water of a father. So they move. This family moves to the region, the place called Moab. Well, during that time there, we find that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies, and so she only now has her two sons. But these sons married uh, two Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. Now, when I was putting this together, I don't find necessarily who, which woman was married to which son i don't we don't see that here perhaps you could uncover more if you studied it more in depth but um, we simply know that the two brothers married two moabite women and we 
I would say it warrants some consideration because for for a person of you know certain um, Hebrew or Jewish roots, for them to marry outside of their own um, their own people would could be considered a a pretty big deal, perhaps a, an offense a, or a, a serious issue. So, just to consider that, uh, because it's it's I think no small thing um, as we consider that. And so these these two women, Orpa, which her name means here's a broad range, drip. It could mean cloud, it could mean neck or mane, like I guess some mane on a horse type thing. And then the other daughter-in-law named Ruth. And Ruth can mean friend, associate, uh, vision, or view. And after 10 years in this place, uh, Malon and Killian also died, the sons. And so we'll continue on here. Uh, so now Naomi was left without her two sons and without a husband. So she's in a bad place. Um, at this point, um, she's in a she's in a place not her own. You know, f- she has no family there. Um, there's these two daughter-in-laws, um, but in, in, as far as being taken care of, having you know resources to to live and to survive, she's basically at um, you know a, a bad place. Uh, likely, she would resort to uh, begging, um, perhaps even prostitution, uh, to be able to survive. So uh, she's in a bad place just so we can appreciate a little bit what is happening going on. So verse 6 says, When Naomi heard in Moab, remember she's there, there, that's where they're at, that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, because remember there was a famine, that's what caused them to move to Moab. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house or home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. Okay, so let's just pause right here. This is something that I noticed. Like I said, I've been kind of fascinated on this for a few days now. And as I was preparing for this, it, this actually just came out in the midst of putting together some thoughts. So this is like hot off the press, and I think it's a pretty substantial um, thing to notice. 
But there in verse 9, Naomi tells her daughters-in-law, that would be Orpah and Ruth, that the Lord grant them to find rest in the home of another husband. So that's Ruth chapter 1 verse 9. That got me thinking instantly about wasn't there a wasn't there a a, a line in Genesis regarding the flood of when the dove is released out to see if the waters from the flood had resided isn't there language about the dove not able to find rest so i go back and it's in genesis um, 8 9 so i'll just turn there quickly for you and i just want to read that now keep in mind too that depending on the translation that you're using words get rendered differently so uh, this particular uh, what i'm reading from is the niv but um, i think uh, the new king james version um, the esv might might do it a little differently as well so uh, just want to kind of put that out there and keep in mind Um, so genesis 8 verse 9 says but the dove could not find nowhere to perch because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. So when I when I looked uh, previously in the New King James, it uses the word, it found no resting place. Now that that kind of encapsulates the idea of what we're talking about a resting place a you know a, a dove or a, a bird for that matter would would light on a place and perch or uh, or be a place of resting well if we look at the hebrew word in ruth 1:9 that's the word now forgive me hebrew pronunciation scholars out there um menhua it's M-E-N-U-H-A. And this is translated as rest. It can also be translated as resting place. And that word in Hebrew is a noun. So be thinking, you know, a noun, person, place, or thing. Um, in Genesis 8-9, the Hebrew word there is Manoah, M-A-N-O-A. H. Now, if you look at those letters and you see those words, um, which, by the way, the resting place for Genesis 8-9 is also a noun, person, place, or thing. So when you're looking at these words, they're very similar. And they encapsulate, they're, they're, they're allowed to be transfer, translated either way. Um, so they really embody the same idea. Now, there's there's things that you know I get context and etc. Um, can can make things alter a little. And I'm by no means a scholar in Hebrew or Greek or Latin or any of this. Um, but it's a it's an interesting connection. Ruth one nine rest and Genesis eight nine rest or resting place. Uh, similar words here, and uh, fascinatingly. I also like numbers, and um, 
when God inspired and pinned the Bible through humanity, if you have the eyes to see the majestic arrangements of God's fingerprint in the words, in the text, um, it's uh, it's incredible to see some of these, I would call them winks or nods or just things that happen too frequently to be random chance, but rather, um, if you will, kind of an exclamation point on the integrity, the validity, the the majesty of God's word. So, uh, notice Ruth. Now, I also I also recognize that uh, chapters and verses were not there originally. Um, we added them for our ease. But even with the addition of these things, how they um, how they were laid out, it um, it's a very fascinating thing to consider. Okay, so Ruth one nine, Genesis eight nine. So we see it shares the same verse number. That's fascinating. It shares the same word, a similar word and a similar translation. And so be thinking then, well, if that's the case, what what can I what can I glean from the the parallel, perhaps, from the Ruth one nine rest and the Genesis eight nine rest? Well, to the very astute listener who may be um, their wills already may be turning, did you think or consider about Hebrews four rest? Well, sure enough, I, I thought that as well, and uh, revisited it. Now, it's a little bit tricky here because the New Testament is translated in the Greek, so we don't have Hebrews. Um, uh, the Hebrew language for the New Testament, but we we do have it in the Greek. So Hebrews chapter four talks about this rest, and it in the first verse or so it, it uses the Greek word kataposis to define or is the word for rest. There, um, it's also a noun, and so I thought, hmm, I wonder what verse nine might say. Well, um, if we let's just turn to Hebrews. Uh, flip to it here, Hebrews 4.9. Uh, so Hebrews 4.9 says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, I don't know about you, but when, when I came across that, now I have three verses specifically using this word of rest, all three using in a verse 9 of their chapter. So that's just really cool to me. Now in verse 9, the word there for rest is it's it's tied to a Sabbath keeping rest, a Sabbath rest. It's the word, um, and again, sorry Greek scholars, uh, Sabbath ismos. So you can see there in the word uh, Sabbath. And so it um, it 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 is embodying this idea of Sabbath-keeping. Now, it's not in the sense of, of keeping a certain day. Don't, don't fall into that, that, the trap of that, um, of, of, of holding a kind of a ceremonial day. 
it actually embodies this idea of perpetual Sabbath, this uninterrupted fellowship with the Father and Son. And those are words from W.E. Vine, uh, who is a scholar. Um, but it's, it's encapsulating this idea of rest. So I don't have much more to unpack with, with that concept, but I merely offer it to you to, um, to take and run with and to digest as you so desire and to your heart's extent. Um, but it is a very fascinating, fascinating uh, idea. And the, just the, um, the uniqueness of how it appears, how it can be connected, and the, the repetition in which it appears in verses 9 of each of those specific books. So fascinating. So um, back to our story of Ruth. Um, we'll kind of wrap this one up uh, for the sake of time. But um, as the story progresses, we find that, um, well, we'll just... Um, we'll just read just a, a second more here. So, so remember the the women, the the daughters in laws, say to Naomi, "We're not we're not going to leave you. We're we will go back with you." But Naomi kind of presses them and tells them, "No, you need to go home. Um, I am an an old lady, and I'm too old to get another husband. And even if I was to find one and have another child or two, um, would you would they wait?" for them to be grown enough so that they could then have uh, children by them. So she she tells them, no, you go back to your, your, your family's home and find husbands for yourself so that you can continue on. And so this is a very um, intense moment. It's very emotional. There's a lot of weeping and, uh, you know, kissing goodbye, etc. But if we notice in verse 14... It says, At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Now that's important. It's a subtle thing there, but it's I think it is important to see. There's a ton of parallels in in this book of Ruth, there's a ton of parallels and um, a ton of conclusions that we can draw. Um, the gospel is interwoven through all of this book in many different ways and many parallels. But we see that Orpah, who loved Naomi and who was sad to leave her, came to the conclusion that it be best that she go on back to her family's home and most likely remarry and have children of her own. Now, we don't know what happens to her. She kind of drops off the map, so to speak, and, um, but her life in some way would have continued on, uh, however that looked. But Ruth doesn't, he, she refuses to leave Naomi, and this is one of the things that we really appreciate about this, this this idea of you know loyalty to family and um, this 
this attitude or perspective to have of, you know, no matter what it costs, I'm going to be by your side. And, you know, that's a, that's a wonderful thing to, to see and experience, especially, um, those of us who have, who have, or don't have people like that with us in our life. Um, that's a very inspiring thing to see. And so Ruth tells Naomi, look, don't push me to leave you or to turn back from away from where you are. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. So here Ruth chooses Naomi's God over, comparatively with Orpah, it said, go back to her gods. So there is a there is a spiritual component to this underlying in this reality where Ruth is saying or is declaring your God will be my God. And there's lots of things at play here relationally, um, economically, uh, socially, definitely spiritually. Um, but so comb through that with a fine tooth comb and uh, see what you discover. But Ruth essentially says, I'm not going to go anywhere, and we will we will not separate. Well, kind of, you know, skipping through some of this, um, Ruth, who is trying to generate food for um, her family, her and Naomi, um, comes across a man named Boaz. And as we will discover later, uh, Boaz makes a huge difference in her life, both Ruth's life and uh, indirectly Naomi's. And so um, I think we'll just end it here and we'll do another episode because there's some really cool things here that I would like to uh, to say or to reveal, and maybe it will be helpful to you. Um, so I think this is where we'll close this one out uh, because I don't want to rush through some of these really rich lessons and parallels that we can learn through this character of Boaz. So thanks for staying with me on this episode. Thanks for um, being connected to this podcast, and um, I really hope that um, I am able to to uh, kind of reveal or or share some insights and ideas that would cause you to be really inspired in the richness of God's Word and that maybe it would create some excitement um, in it for you, this this idea of kind of a treasure hunt, if you will, uh, of God's Word. And so I just pray that that the Holy Spirit would just breathe on your your study, and would open your heart and mind to to come to new things, um, not for the sake of new, but just for the excitement of um, what God can do relationally through His Word. Um, it's a supernatural work, and so I just I pray blessings over you all, and thank you so much for continuing to stay um, here engaged. And I pray that the Lord blesses you uh, through that. And so until next time, we will see you. God bless. It means that I'm close to you. I would trade a million lifetimes for